This is Amanda. And this is Rachel. And this is Vocal Perspective. Hi, everyone, and welcome to Vocal Perspective. We are on episode 20, which is really exciting for Rachel and I. Um, today, we are talking with Elena Georgieva, and she is based on the West Coast. She's a graduate of Stanford and now works on campus, and she works as an engineer with a lot of the groups there. Elena, how are you? Hi, I'm good. Thanks for having me on the show. Thanks for being here. This is really exciting. I am also a live sound engineer and we were just talking in a previous episode about how few women there are working in live sound. So it is super exciting mm-hmm. to meet another yeah. one. <laughs> Yay. So can you start by telling us first off how you got involved in the acapella period? Oh, yeah. So I basically did, you know, singing, choir, played classical piano all through my life, all through high school. And when I got to college, I just knew I wanted to do acapella. This was at UCLA, actually. And I auditioned for every group at UCLA. I ended up getting into a group called Euthonics. It's a community service group. And then I directed, arranged for the group. I feel like I just spent all of college staring at music score and arranging. <laughs> it was quite an amazing experience. Then when I graduated from UCLA, I came to grad school at Stanford. And I just knew I had to keep doing acapella. Yeah. Awesome. What was that transition like for you going from collegiate acapella to sort of post-collegiate acapella? I'm not even sure how to say that because it's not exactly post-collegiate. You're still working with collegiate groups, but I guess you being post-collegiate. Oh, well, it wasn't too different because the group I joined at Stanford, it's Counterpoint. It's the all-female group on campus. I performed with them for two years during my master's and it felt quite similar as being in my UCLA group. Uh, There's obviously differences in the group culture and other activities that are going on on campus, but overall, it was still a collegiate group. I was the only grad student in the group, but being only a couple years older, I don't think it was a big deal at all. Um, Now that I've graduated, I'm not in a collegiate group anymore. Um, so I work with them. And it feels like it feels like it's still a great way to be involved in acapella because it's something I love so much. Yeah. So what drew you to engineering? It's still, we've talked about it a lot, still very uncommon for women to get into engineering, whether it be studio or live. So what was it that attracted you to the field? Well, music's always been a really big part of my life. And I knew I wanted to do go on doing music in some way. I suppose I felt that it would be hard. I did, never wanted a career as a performer. That was never what I wanted. So I was looking for a way to make music my career that wasn't being a professional performer. And engineering seemed like a great choice because I did computer science and took engineering classes at UCLA and in high school, everything like that. And how has the practice of it been for you after sort of being educated in it, right? Like what's the difference for you of learning about it and then actually doing it? Oh, it's so amazing because uh, in school, at least in my program, it feels like everything we learn is mostly theory. We're like doing equations, we're reading about sound, but we don't necessarily do a ton of hands-on things. It's very rarely applied. School's all theory. And then I get to go do acapella things. I get to record, do live sound and see how these sound practices that I've studied actually come into play in real life and how they actually affect the performance. It's been so cool. Excellent. What has been for you, the, what part about it do you enjoy the most? Uh, it's actually kind of the people side of things. I really enjoy interacting with groups on campus. I really enjoy, I guess, like making friends through this process and making people happy about how they sound and feeling like there's a community on campus that I belong in outside of my department. Very so how cool. does you, so you work in sound recording as a lecturer there at Stanford? How how does it like intertwine? What's it like to teach it and then also be actively doing it on campus with students? Well, I feel like it's kind of necessary for anyone who's teaching something to also be doing it. At least I feel that way. So yeah, I like I teach a class and I lecture and I manage the recording studio on campus. And then kind of separately from that, I record and work with groups. Uh, but there is occasional overlap. Like some of my students are also in acapella groups and I end up working closely with them on their group's sound or on their recordings. Um, and I, it's nice like I use studio equipment to do the acapella sound stuff I do. And yeah, they fit in really well together. So what's been the biggest challenge for you as an engineer, either studio or live? I guess getting started 
could have been was a bit stressful, especially with the live sound stuff. Uh, because yeah. with live sound, you only get one chance at everything, and if something doesn't work, you know, you don't get a chance to repair that. <laughs> right. Yeah, I was um, I was at, I think I was at like Aka Open or something in New York, and I was talking to Ed Boyer, who is one of the more well-known yeah. studio engineers, and. We were talking and he goes, so Amanda, which one do you like better? Do you like studio or live? And I was like, actually, I really like live because you go in, you do the job and it's over. Like there's no thinking about it and there's no tweaking and tweaking and tweaking and tweaking. It's like you go in, you get it right or as good as you can the first time and that's it. And he's like, yeah, I, could so never, I could never do that. And it was so crazy to hear him say that. He's like, I would just be afraid like I'd push the wrong button. I'd make the audience go deaf. Or, <laughs> and it was just, it, it's a conversation that'll stick with me because I was like, no, I love being in the moment I love it's stressful but I love just creating that moment it's just for that time only and I can't overanalyze and be a perfectionist mm. it just has to be what it is going to be mm. yeah well something really interesting is that in the old days of recording they actually would record the tape and then yeah. you only got basically one chance at everything then as well yeah yeah which do you like better do you like the sort of ability to tweak and make modifications or do you like the sort of adrenaline of doing it live <laughs> Oh, I like both. Yeah, I definitely like doing both. It's hard to pick one. It satisfies maybe two different parts of your personality. Yeah, absolutely. Recording is also a lot of fun because you get to work one-on-one -on -one with the singers. In acapella, we record each singer one at a time and then do post-production after that. And it's yeah. so great to work with each individual college student and help them get the best performance they can. And they're often so excited about their music. They love being in acapella. And I just love that one-on-one -on -one work I get to do. So when you're recording, there are a lot of groups there at Stanford, and they all kind of have their own mini culture. Do you notice, is there a different way to go about recording when they have a different kind of culture within the group? Uh, yeah, sometimes they, they want different things out of the recording. Are some perhaps like more perfectionist than others? They want to do it more times because they want to get some particular piece down right or some more laissez-faire about it? Honestly, I'd say everyone really wants to get it right. I'd, a lot of groups are really committed to having a good sound. I don't think yeah. there's anyone who's too chill about it. <laughs> everyone, everyone, wants to have, yeah, everyone wants to do a good job with their music, and I really appreciate that. Totally. Have you had a chance to be exposed to groups outside of the Stanford community? Are you looking to do that, or you want to focus mostly on Stanford? Yeah, I have, and I'm looking to do it more. Uh, last year, I went to the Los Angeles Acapella Festival in winter, and I taught a class on how to record your acapella, and it was fantastic. A lot of people from other groups and community members came out to my workshop, and they got to like make connections and teach a bit about recording. It was a really great experience. So, I mean, you have clearly started to build things up. Sounds like you started from the ground up, like most engineers in this community. What advice would you give to other people that want to follow kind of the same sort of path that you're on? I guess just do it. <laughs> That's really <laughs> the only way to get good at something is just doing it. Um, maybe find a mentor who can show you how to get started and then just start doing it. Do it for free at first. Record your friends first and build up from there. Yeah, it's interesting when I talk to younger people and how much they, you know, they want to just jump in and be great right from the get go. And it's like, yeah, well, you have to have a bunch of recordings right up front that you almost never want to listen to again. <laughs> you don't want to go back to them because you're like, you know what, I'm just learning. Just like you wouldn't turn in a paper that you wrote in second grade for your college you know, thesis. Yeah. <laughs> but it's been super fun. Yeah. In terms of, so our show has focused a lot on, uh, obviously on women. And I wonder as a woman, like what, what has been your experience being in this fairly male dominated field? Uh, yeah. So it's been really great being at Stanford because there are a lot of female engineers at 
Stanford. Basically, almost everyone at Stanford is an engineer, women and men. And my program specifically focuses on diversity and has plenty of female representation in our program. So I think I didn't necessarily know how male-dominated it was. And then one summer, I did an internship. I worked at an audio company, Universal Audio in Santa yeah. Cruz. And I went to Universal Audio and they had no female engineers, literally zero. And I, like, yeah, I guess I didn't, I didn't like realize that um, yeah. because it, everything went so well on my campus. Huh. Um, how did that, how did that make you feel? I guess I felt a lot of place and I felt that I had to keep proving myself. Hmm. Um, yeah. And it would be nice if there were more women. So I'm trying to encourage more women to do this. Awesome. Yeah. We've talked yeah. a lot about how just like representation matters. So when a woman sees another woman doing it, they're like, oh, that is something I could do. Because yeah, when I got started in this, I was the only girl here on the East Coast wanting to be a live sound engineer. And everyone's like, well, why would you want to do that? (laughs) I mean, literally, why would you want to do that? And you know, that equipment is heavy and blah, blah. And I'm like, I... I enjoy it. Also, you know, I can go to the gym and also I can also get roadies to help me lift an 80 pound speaker over my head if I need to. Yeah. (laughs) It doesn't mean my ears are any different than anybody else's. Right. So true. So being the only woman in that environment in your first internship as an engineer, what do you think helped you get through it and helped you get a little bit more comfortable and inspired you to stay and stick it out? I guess people were nice about it. No one was ever malicious about it, which is nice. And there were women who worked at the company who weren't quite in engineering roles, but they were, you know, HR marketing, whatever it may be. And it was just really great to have women around in some capacity. And I really appreciated having them there. That's great. So in your role as a teacher, as a lecturer, where do you see your students wanting to go with studio recording? What are the next steps that they want to take? Uh, A lot of them are in this kind of more for fun. They want to record. They want to record their band. Maybe they want to record their acapella group. (laughs) And I think that's fantastic. And I hope they find some way to apply it into their career. So when you're in the studio, you said you really like working one on one with the students. What kind of techniques do you think are important when you're not only the engineer, but also a producer? So when you're in a big studio, I think people often mistake engineer for producer and don't realize they're actually two separate roles where the engineer is actually doing the recording. The producer is the one coaching and making, you know, stating the direction of the project. Mm -hmm. What's it like doing both of those roles? And what are the challenges for you as a producer? Well, for acapella, you just really want everyone to give as much energy as possible. And you really want them to focus on the energetic, lively, dude, performance as opposed to getting all the notes perfectly because there are only ones one track in a mix of maybe 20 people who are recorded and um, we use pitch correction and stuff like that just to enhance the performance so you really want everyone to focus on being as active as they can enthusiasm and things like that I often tell them like make it sound like you, you like singing the song as a lot of teaching people to belt like sing out more yeah it's it's funny because people often I, I often see especially students that sing much more calculated in a studio than they do on stage and then there's also the issue of you know sometimes it takes a long time to get the right take in the studio what maybe are ways that we can motivate singers to push through when it's taking a little bit longer than you thought it would i actually haven't had that problem people seem to want to get the perfect take and they seem committed (laughs) to it that's something 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 i do is like we move on and come back to that section of the music because basically in october we're recording little segments at a time a phrase at a time right so you can just move on to the next phrase come back to it at the end that's good yeah because i see even when i record myself i'll get frustrated and it's like you know what i just need to walk away and 
come back a little bit later. Just my favorite project that I've worked on was one of the hardest projects to work on. It was my Aqualog Group's album. It was Counterpoints album. We just released it about a month ago. It's called Close to Home. And the album was all songs, a lot of songs that I've arranged and all singers that I know very well because they're my friends in my group. And that was a little bit difficult for my side to work on because I wanted everything perfect. I was like, this is how I imagined it. Do it like this. And I had to not be a perfectionist and make sure everyone was enjoying the time uh, working on the album. And I think we have a final product that we're all really happy with. That's awesome. And it's, it was just such an awarding experience. We had an album release party recently. Well, we're really proud of it. Yes, I totally understand because I have a studio here in my house and all of my family and non-music friends are like, why don't you just like record yourself all the time? And it's really hard to explain like how hard it is to work on your own stuff um, because you hear every little thing and you remember what you were thinking when you recorded it and what you really wanted it to sound like. And it's a very difficult thing to over. What other advice would you, besides not trying to be a perfectionist, (laughs) what other advice would you give to people that are trying to record and produce their own stuff, especially things that they are so closely tied to because they did the arranging or they directed it. How do you hope that other people can get through that difficult? Yeah, path? well, it's definitely a nice perspective to have to, for it to be your own work. I think just working on your own work is always more exciting. You're always more committed to it than working on someone else's. Uh, whether we like it or not, I think that's just how it is. <laughs> I'd say that it's really important to remember that at the end of the day, this is for fun. You're recording this Octal album for fun. You care a lot about the project, but really at the end of the day, you really want to enjoy this experience. And this is going to be something you remember a long time into the future and a product you're going to have at last. And what's going to matter is the memories you made while making it. And it's important to remember that. And, you know, this is all for fun. It always kills me to watch groups that are so, I mean, you want it to be a good project, but to the point where it's just not fun anymore. And I, I want everyone to remember that. Like, it should be fun. This is a two-part question. What do you wish groups would think about or prepare themselves for either before they come into the studio or before a live show? What do you think are some of the more important things that you wish groups would do in preparation for both of those? Well, be ready to give your best performance. Like, make sure you know the music, of course. And just like be ready to perform, not just sing the music, but perform the music. That's very important. So what challenges have you seen in live sound, either working with the clients or just in general, learning how to engineer? What kind of challenges have there been for you? I guess one challenge we've had is like disagreement over use of mics and use of effects. The way acapellers used to perform is like with kind of two choral mics and they'd sing around them. But now a lot of groups have this individual mic system. And these groups at Stanford have this individual mic system. So, you know, you have 18 people in the group, you have 18 mics, everyone's using the mics, and it gives a different sound. And dynamics are lost a bit, but you get a lot more volume, a lot more power, a lot more like punch. Sometimes there's conflict about whether we should use the mics or not. Going on from that, we use an octavizer, which octavizes the lowest voice just to give more bass in the mix. And there's some conflict amongst groups of should we be using the octavizer? Is this cheating? And other effects going on from there. And uh, there's a bit of conflict for me to be like, no, oh, you should do whatever you want. I'm not going to make you use anything you don't want to. But at the same time, this is the standard. This is what sounds good. This is what gives you power and makes the sound like more pop. And it's all talking through that and making a decision that everyone's happy with. Yeah, it is interesting to still hear groups that really are anti the octave pedal. Mm -hmm. And the analogy that I've started using with groups when they're against it and ultimately if they really don't want to use it I never make them use it yeah because I've been in situations where engineers do kind of force that aesthetic on people and I I don't think it ends up going as well as you'd hope but like the analogy that people bring guitars on stage and they plug it into an effects pedal and the guitar sound that you know like would be completely different if they didn't plug into an amp if they didn't plug into an effects pedal like that sound they're still playing the guitar (laughs) the effects pedals aren't doing the work for them Mm -hmm. It's just filling out the sound. Yeah, but I guess it's hard to hear something different than how you sound in rehearsal. <laughs> yes, it's always nicer when their reaction is like, 
the eyes get real big and they're like, whoa, that sounds awesome rather than, oh, that sounds different. Something else we can work on is making sure that more groups get access to individual mics and the octave and stuff like that. I know at UCLA, I didn't have the opportunity to use equipment like that. And I'm sure lots of the schools around the country also don't. I think something we can all do as a community is to like help all acapella <laughs> programs have the opportunity to use these things because they're very cool and to help more groups be able to record because that's not something I got to do in college. I got yeah. into it a bit later. Yeah. So, uh, you know, I heard you talk about how you run the recording studio at Stanford and that's just so foreign to me when my college group wanted to record, we had to pick, you know, a general recording studio off campus and drive into the closest city, which was 30 minutes away and, yeah. and be in a very unfamiliar environment where you had a very set amount of time to do it, which was stressful. So it would be great to hear to see some college campuses either have a sound system that the groups can share or that, you know, the music department can share because it, it is expensive. It's a big buy in, um, especially yeah. for college groups that don't necessarily have the place to store it properly um, to take care of it. And it's, you know, to get a decent sound system, you're looking at 10, $20,000, especially for a group that yeah. needs 18 microphones. So it is kind of unfortunate yeah. that only yeah. the groups that have money or have access to funds from the school are able to use it. So yeah, definitely that's a goal of mine. Try to make that happen for more people. <laughs> Thank you so much, Elena. This was a really lovely conversation. And I'm so excited to meet another female engineer. And like I've said in previous episodes, I'm hoping that one day I won't know everyone's name and I won't be able to count them on my hands. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Thank but, you so much for having me. Is there any last little words of wisdom that you'd like to share with up and coming people that are considering going into this field yeah just start doing it <laughs> just go for it and it is really that simple you just have to commit <laughs> well thank you again elena and we um, are now also after our little talking segment with me and rachel we are going to play a, a track from counterpoint's latest oh album. yay how exciting <laughs> thank you so much so this segment of uh, about constructive criticism and ways to provide feedback for people that are more generous and more helpful. I mean, we know that not everybody does everything perfectly the first right. time around. And so because of that, like you obviously have to provide feedback to people. And sometimes that feedback is negative. Like, dude, you hit that, that, that note went flat. That note went sharp. Like, or, you know, you sang the wrong words or any sort of criticism that is not 100% positive. Right. But I think there are really, there are ways that you can do that that are are constructive to people. And I think a lot of that is the attitude that you take. Um, and On both sides. Absolutely. So being receptive to that feedback, uh, I think is key, super key. And I think that being kind and good intentioned, giving that feedback makes a big difference. Yes. So in my group, we had a long talk about this. Yeah. And the biggest thing for us was not taking it personally. So it's never a personal attack. So when our music director is giving feedback, it is very detailed, like very specific, like you sang this note wrong, not you sounded like crap. Right. And so it's like, you sang this note wrong, let's work on it. Yeah. It's not you sang this note wrong and you're also a terrible person and a <laughs> terrible singer. <laughs> And we also, on the other side, had to promise as the people receiving the feedback that we weren't going to take it as a personal attack. Yeah, it's hard. I think that, I mean, there are there are obviously um, sort of constructs for how to do this kind of thing. And one of those is often like use a soft start. So, you know, or sandwich your criticism in between two positive remarks. And I feel right. like using that kind of 
approach can be a good way if you don't if you need something formulaic because it's difficult for you to know how to do that provide this feedback perhaps a sandwiching your negative comment in between two positives is a good way right especially for non-professional groups like at the end of the day you have to remember no matter how strong of a director you are you are still working with amateur singers and you can't be as harsh with them as perhaps you can be with a professional group. Professional groups know like their job depends on how well they execute. But when you're not in a professional group, your livelihood doesn't depend on it. You might not be the best singer. You just happen to be the best singer that auditioned that year. Yeah. No, that's true. And I, I think that approaching it that way and sort of making sure that you think about what your end goal is uh, if your end goal is to retain members and not have people, you know, have lots of turnover, then tempering your response and understanding who you're speaking to and what you might be able to get out of them is a good uh, good start. Yeah, understanding who you're speaking to is a very important part. So a lot of being able to give constructive feedback is also knowing how each person takes feedback the best. Totally. Um, for me, just tell me I, you need to fix that note. Yeah. I'll take it. But some people need to be told... Like you sang this really great, except for this one thing. And so as a director, as a leader, taking the time to get to know your group as individual people and not just as a unit yeah, is makes it easier to do your job in the long run. It takes a lot of effort and it's a continuous process. You can't just do a 15 minute like interview at the beginning of the year and be like, okay, I know this person. Right. You need to check in with them. Maybe things have changed for them. Maybe they failed a class or maybe they lost someone in their life or maybe just things are hard yeah and they'll react differently when they're going through other things yeah i think that's true and definitely taking your audience into consideration and tempering your response knowing their their response uh is absolutely i think a a way to approach that that would yield you positive results And another way, it also will take effort and time, but if you have a bad interaction as a director with someone in your group, it doesn't mean that you are a bad director. It means that interaction was bad, and it would be helpful if you debrief with that person, let the emotions settle, simmer down, and then say, hey, what was it about what I said that bothered you? How can we work on this and do it better in the future? Those are life lessons. Right. right? That's not that's just. N- yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that's like learning how to communicate well with people is challenging. And it's always uh, good, I think, to, to, first off, it's always good to do it successfully. But when you don't do it successfully, the next best thing is to learn from your mistake. Exactly. And then I just want to encourage people to, yeah, work on this skill because even if you don't end up being a singer or being a creative where you have to constantly have these conversations and it's about, something that's very personal to you, you are going to have this this conversation continuously in the workplace, in real life, just existing as an adult, and you get what you want, and you are a happier person if you can just learn how to communicate properly and without severe emotions attached to it. Because oftentimes people aren't attacking you, and if you take everything as a personal attack, it's just going to be miserable for you. And also, people will stop being upfront and honest with you because they don't think you can take it. And then you're not getting the full story. You're not getting a full relationship. You're not having a full open and honest conversation because people are afraid to hurt your feelings. Yeah, I think that's fair. I think that um, that it applies in lots of places in life, um, in your group. And that's our uh, that's our wrap up for this segment on 
constructive criticism.